Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are now just 10 weeks away from training camp as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 58. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Villanova's wide receiver coach, Brian Flynn, and I know you're all going to enjoy this discussion. Brian, Brian has been in the area now for years, and he's coached a number of prospects at the FCS level at the wide receiver position, and we talk a little bit about the X's and O's and what could be a big part of Doug Peterson's offense here in 2016. After that, we stay at the wide receiver position where I caught up with Eagles wide receiver Jordan Matthews, who had a little bit of a bone to pick with one of his teammates from a previous two-technique segment, so you'll definitely want to keep listening for that. Then we wrap it all up with Saturday Scouting, where this week we jump back into the notebook to check out undrafted free agent Caleb Jones from Arizona. The Eagles signed him right after the draft, and I'm very interested to see how he looks once training camp opens in a couple of months. And we've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. I caught up with Villanova's wide receiver coach, Brian Flynn, to talk about wide receivers and one of the hot new trends in offensive football around the league. Let's get things rolling with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by Brian Flynn, who you can follow on Twitter at Coach underscore Flynn. He's been in Villanova now for 11 years. And I got to tell you, first of all, as a Temple grad and as a Temple football guy through and through, I feel a little bit dirty talking to you. But that being said, I've got a ton of respect for you as a football coach. You've always done such a great job with that receiving core. And I go back to when I was at Temple and players like Norman White and Matt Caesar, uh, you guys were always ready to go whenever we played Villanova. And so let me ask you this right off the bat, Brian. And this is a bit of a loaded question. What's the most underrated part of wide receiver play? What's one f- factor that fans don't think about enough when they talk about the position? Yeah, it, 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 it comes up for me every year, like during the draft, because you always get, you know, 40-yard speed. You always get linear speed, and there's very little, and there is a pro agility that we measure, but nobody, you know, if you're a regular fan, you don't know what a good pro agility time or what a good three-coat time is. But really, change of direction to me is a, is a as important as long speed or linear speed or whatever they're calling being fast nowadays. You know, I think there are some guys for us, you know, you said some names there, Norman White for us, who was a bigger guy who wasn't a great 40-yard dash guy coming in, but understands how to get open, you know, plays with the entire receiver position. If you play with great body position, you know, if you're, if you're bending, if you're, if you're, you can get yourself in and out of breaks, you know, to change direction, you have to play low. And I think that's a really underrated, you know, part of the position. The, the ability to get open and understand how to get open and be able to do it is so much more important to me than just a straight-ahead fast yard. Well, let, let me ask you this. You're out on the on the road recruiting now, as are pretty much every college coaching staff uh, around the country. You mentioned the change of direction, the ability to get open. Is there another facet of the receiver position right now that you're looking for is, is almost like a must-have for you, or are you more of look? We're going to bring, we're going to look for the best players, the best kids, and we'll try and adapt to what they can do best. Yeah, I think it, I think it's more the latter than the former. You know, we recruit receivers. I think a lot of people do this. I think it'd be it'd be arrogant to say that we're the only ones that do it this way. But I think we recruit inside and outside receivers. You know, so an outside receiver for us is a bigger guy, a longer guy. 
um, you know, is what people would think is a traditional receiver, you know, a six foot plus guy, you know, a guy that wears a single digit or wears a number in the eighties and, and is, is that kind of guy. Slots for us, slot receivers are almost always a shorter high school running back that maybe isn't big enough to be a college tailback, but still has the ability to, we can bring him back in the backfield and hand him the ball. You know, you, I think you, we can do a good, it's a lot easier to teach a slot receiver who was a high school running back how to run routes uh, than it is to teach a wide receiver who played out wide how to run the ball in the A-gap. So I think, you know, we kind of we kind of draw the line. We recruit receivers kind of like, you know, you're recruiting tackles or recruiting centers and guards. You know, so we go from there. But I just, I don't know if there's any one thing in particular. I think what you try to do is you try not, not to get too married to, hey, he's got to run such and such on a watch. Or if he does, you know, if he's, it's fast for us is yes or no, you know, or is he fast enough? Yes or no. And then you've got to watch them actually do the stuff that they're going to do playing the position. You know, I think the guys, Matt Caesar is a guy for us that was just a good football player. He ran great. You know, he's a professional athlete now. He plays for the Cubs, but he was a guy who you know, caught the ball naturally. You know, his highlight film was like returns a punt for a touchdown, he caught for a touchdown, interception for a touchdown. Like I, I think you can't, underrate just being a good football player and, and doing the stuff with the pads on. So I think we try to, this time of year, and it's just like the NFL draft, where you get so caught up in what the guy do at the combine, how is his pro day, you know, the quarterback was 72 for 73 at his pro day. Well, who cares? There's no defense. You know, so I think, and because we've all been here a long time, and especially, you know, our coordinator and our head coach and, and all the guys that kind of make the final decisions are, are, are old school football guys, and I think we still place the most important on actually how good you are you know the, the playing playing the game with the equipment on all that stuff yeah it's interesting and that's why i actually brought up caesar earlier because i remember we we played him uh i think it was his senior year the same year that we took on kent state when they had julian edelman and edelman was right. a, a college quarterback and he was just ridiculous in that game i think we played them on uh on a thursday night or it was a saturday night game and he i think he ran for uh, you know, 260 yards, it felt like. Yeah, it we saw ridiculous. it. No, we saw it in the film exchange. That was one of the games we <laughs> broke down. He was ridiculous. Yeah. And I, again, I think, you know, had Matt chosen to play football, I think he could have done a, a lot of similar things. And it, it, we've our best players, even right now, like our best players on our team are usually some of the least recruited. We have a defensive end right now who is going to be a senior for us, Tano Passanio, who's an unbelievable player. Motor always runs, but he was a one-offer guy. You know, Matt was a one-offer guy. Norman White. Uh, Brandon Harvey, you know, even uh, our leading receiver two years ago was a walk-on guy. Our leading receiver last year was a walk-on. So we, you know, I think that you can get some value there. You know, it's, it's like the old, the old money ball deal. You know, it's not modeling G. You know, we're not just looking for guys that, hey, he looks good at the equipment on, but he's not much of a player. You know, so I think that that's always been a point of emphasis for us, especially this time of year. All right, so I'm going to give the listeners uh, a little bit of peek behind the curtain. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, and I, I reached out to you and I said, look, I want to talk to you about receiver play, but then I want to talk to you about the three-step passing game. And your response was, well, here at Villanova, our three-step passing game is mostly play action and RPO. So, And for fans that aren't aware, RPO, run-pass option. And we've heard Doug Peterson talk about the run-pass option and, and how big of a, uh, a part that'll be of the Eagles' offense this, this season, what they did with it in Kansas City. Explain to us, tell the listeners what it means when you say run-pass option. What, what kind of play concept are we talking about here? Yeah, for us, it's, it's for the five guys up front, it's a running play. You know, so it, the scenery never changes for them. Whether we tag on the exterior 
or on the backside to a single receiver, it's inside zone or it's power read or it's counter, you know, whatever the call is for the five up front it is. You know, you can do whatever you want on the perimeter, whatever exotic passing stuff you want to do, and it's not that exotic. But we it never changes for the five up front. Uh, what we do is is we have our outside guys, you know, whether it's a single receiver into the boundary running a route, whether it's a number three receiver to the field running a stick route, and our quarterback is going to read, and he's going to either give the ball on the run or throw the ball depending on what the second-level defender needs to come back. cover down we throw the ball out to the route we had that's going to replace where he was if the mike Ryanbacker leaves the box to go cover the passing play giving us five and a half or five guys in a box we're going to hand the ball off so it's you know our old play action our old three-step drop it's really those same type of quick routes a five-yard hitch a slant a seam route although we have gotten to some more vertical stuff here in our you know as we as we've grown into the offense the three-step drop stuff, it's really hard to move underneath defenders and throw the ball in front of them or around them if you're doing a three-step drop. It's a line that's past that. If the five guys up front are blocking a run play, you get those linebackers stepping in or stepping down or widening for an outside run, and you're creating those throwing lanes. Uh, so it's really, that's kind of replaced you know, our three-step drop protection. I think the biggest thing, and I say this every year, you know, when people come in to visit, they want to talk about, all right, no huddle tempo, how do you go super fast is the number one question. And then number two is, give me your best RPOs. Well, it, the RPOs have kind of become like the black box on the airplane. You know, hey, let's make the whole airplane out of the black box. When it crashes, everybody will step off and be fine. <laughs> like, you know, the RPOs, are, if, if you're not good, you're not going to be good just because you're running RPOs. And the same thing, it, the whole point of the RPO for us is the R. You know, we're trying to run the ball. You know, we're all shotgun spread, no huddle. But even when we line up and empty, you know, with no backs on the backfield, we're trying to get a five-man box in front of the quarterback. Or if we're running an RPO, we're trying to get those underneath defenders to chase the pass routes to the outside guys to run it so we can hand the ball off. Like, the, the, the run is the goal. You know, and then if the defense takes the run away and, and crowds the box or plays single high, then we get rid of the ball and we throw it on the perimeter. So it's, you know, we're, it's our foundation is – even though we're in the shotgun and never huddle, it, we're still going to pound the ball in the A-gap as much as we can. That We're trying to move defenders by having the passes built in with the run. Yeah, I mean, it's all about a numbers game. And, it, and it's funny, I didn't plan on having you come on this week to talk about RPOs, but for fans that are listening right now, if you go onto, the, onto PhiladelphiaEagles.com or if you go on the mobile app, you'll see that this week's anatomy of a play was on a play that I called inside zone pop. And it was an inside zone run play with a little pop pass from the tight end over the middle of the field. And that is one, one example of these RPOs. And, uh, and Brian, I've, you know, watching the NFL now for as many years as I have and watching college football for as many years as I have, it's really interesting to see how quickly uh, the NFL teams have kind of adopted a lot of these similar schemes. You, know, you see it all over, and whether it's, you know, power slant or whether it's, uh, you know, yep. you see the, the Carolina Panthers and the Kansas City Chiefs, and really every team has some kind of run-pass option built in. You know, what Hugh Jackson has done uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals and now what he's going to do this coming year with, with Cleveland. You can look all sure. around the league. Everybody has really kind of adopted some way, shape, or form of running these RPOs. Uh, what is it that you think gives it the most staying power? Is it really the numbers game? Is it the fact that you know it's quote unquote something simple to run, it, and you can almost make it you know part of your the basis of your three step game? What is it that gives it the most staying power? I mean, I think that the the foundation of it, despite what all the pushback is, you know, when you listen to draft experts or you listen to some 
you know, really the crustier NFL guys who, God, it's college football is a bunch of nonsense. You know, these guys are running pass routes every play. Like, I think the, the thing those guys are missing is the foundation of it is we're going to do our best to run the ball into a, a box with less guys. And if they take that away, then we're going to throw open access throws to a single receiver or we're going to throw the pop to the tight end down the field if they're playing, you know, cover three or they're playing cover one and they're bringing more guys down into the box. You know, so it, it, it passes the common sense test if you're an offensive coach, you know, philosophically. We, we, and you're not always going to be right. You know, I, don't, I think that the idea that as a play caller or as an offense, you're going to go up there every single time and you're going to run the ball to a good look or you're going to make or the ball's going to come out to the open guy or a covered guy every single time. I mean, that's not going to happen. But you're hedging your bets where, okay, now we have a chance, you know, where if a team is really covering down our formations that we can pound the ball. Or if they're really going to take away our run game or inside zone game, you know, we're going to try to build in a post on the backside and throw it down the field. You know, so I think it, it's the stuff that we're talking about, I don't think it's all that different, you know, than, than some of the West Coast stuff. or, or And it's all football. You know, I, I think we want to throw a post against quarters if the safety comes downhill. That's not revolutionary. You know, we just build that in with an outside zone at the safety or a counter at the safety to tell him, hey, listen, if he's, if he's coming downhill, we got a chance to fire it down there. You know, so the principles are the same principles that we all came up in. You know, it's not some exotic space age nonsense. And, and it's also not oversimplified. Guys are just looking at a bunch of signboards. It's football. You know, it's common sense. It's sound offensive football. And like any other scheme, it'll work if you execute it and you have good players. You know, if you don't and you're not, then it's, it's not going to be any good for you. So I think it's, it, it's the principles are as old as the game. You know, I, I think, that there's again, there's some pushback against it because it's new. There's some pushback against it because it's a college offense, whatever that is. I'd, I'd love somebody to drop the college offense for me. Or, you know, I hear the same thing as a receiver coach. Oh, Spread offenses don't run the route tree. I mean, we run every route there is. I don't know these these mythical branches of the tree I haven't seen. Um, <laughs> but I think when when push comes to shove and you break this, the you know the RPO stuff down, I mean it's it's as it's as old as the game itself. It's just now we're putting these things together. Well, you mentioned some of those concepts that you know you kind of came up in the game learning. Before we get to that, I want to ask you real quick. The last question: RPOs. What have you seen from defenses to try and counter? what teams are able to do schematically. I mean, have you seen some defensive coordinators try and uh, do some different things in terms of motion or uh, in terms of disguise and things like that to really try and fool off uh, quarterbacks and, and offensive coordinators in terms of the RPO? What we see a lot of is teams are going to play some kind of man coverage, you know, where they're going to try to take away all your freebies. So they're going to put a guy up. You know, if you have a single receiver backside, they're going to put a guy up. If you have three receivers to a side, they're going to have three guys over the top, so you can't throw your bubble screen or you can't throw your stick route. You can't throw your seam route. You know, that's kind of the answer. Now, the problem with that defensively is if you have a guy, you know, particularly as, at the single receiver, you know, uh, Jerry Rice back there or, a, you know, Calvin Johnson that can win a one-on-one, you can get yourself into some trouble. You know, and I remember when I first started coaching uh, way back in the day, uh, you know, Kansas State was going against, and I guess this isn't that long ago, was going against Drew Brees in a bowl game, and Kansas State was playing the old undermanned free defense, and Purdue was lining up an empty and finding the absolute worst cover guy and throwing the ball at him. You know, with Drew Brees as a quarterback, the ball's going to the right spot every time. They end up beating Kansas State. 
Uh, so if you have, you know, they're going to try to take away all the easy stuff from you. And then as an offense, you got to win, you know, so if somebody somewhere has to win a single, you know, win the one-on-one matchup. Uh, it's, you better do it early in the game. Cause once you do, if, if you do, you know, you can get them out of the, out of their game plan and get them, you know, spinning a little bit through defenses trying to get it solved. So, you know, again, I think it's, you know, back in the day, you saw a ton of bear defense. You know, Philly get Philadelphia guys are always partial to to Buddy Ryan, and, and what was the answer to that? The answer was that to spread everybody out and make those guys cover. You know, so and again, if you're good enough to cover, then you're gonna you're gonna give the defense some problem, or give the offense a lot of problems. Excellent. All right. Well, so to to wrap this up, everything that Doug Peterson has shown uh, in the past in terms of obviously coming from the Andy Reid tree, and everyone assumes that. Uh, it's going to be a West Coast quote-unquote offense. And, and, and RPOs aside, that's what everybody thinks it, it, this is going to look like. So I wanted to ask you, in terms of the three-step passing game, you talk about all these short to intermediate passing routes that typically are found in a West Coast offense. You talk about your slant flat and your smash and stick and drive and spacing, all those different concepts. Sure. What's, your, what's your favorite? And give us a quick breakdown. Give us, let us know, the listeners, uh, to paint an image of what those kind of concepts look like. Yeah, I mean, I think we do a lot of, you know, any, any access throws for us. You know, we, we were a, we've been a big historically uh, double slant team. Uh, we, we've kind of modified a little bit. We're our number one receiver now. If he gets any type of bail coverage, number two is around the slant and two-man service. Number one, if he gets any type of bail, any thirds or quarters, you know, he just runs a five-yard hitch and stays out there. If he gets any kind of man coverage or, you know, a hard cover two corner sitting there, he goes up five yards and edge breaks it in flat. So instead of running a slant by the outside guy, we run this by five-yard in, kind of making it easier for the receiver uh, against man coverage. You know, he can take the guy vertical and throw him by and come back underneath. You know, a slant against press man is hard. You've got to try to three-step lock the guy hard outside, throw him by and come back inside. Uh, and it also makes it easy by going five yards in the end. It's a little bit better aiming point for the quarterback. You know, we'd, we'd be in meetings and we'd say, hey, listen, we, uh, you know, our coordinator would say, hey, listen, we want to angle that slant flatter. No, I want it flatter. I want it flatter. Well, pretty much it just turned into a five yards and come in. Uh, and, you know, those again, those outside guys for us are bigger guys. You know, so we want to be able to use their size and, you know, get their, obviously get themselves between their defender and the ball. So we do a lot of that. You know, I think a lot of what we do, uh, you know, I think you, you still get a lot of open access for us into the boundary. So we run the heck out of a, a you know, quick outs into the boundary, especially three by one. Um, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to play off and inside, you know, we're always with our inside foot. So we're going to run a route two times with our inside foot. We're going to speed cut it and try to get eight or nine yards on a quick out. I think that's probably, you know, if you're going to bail to a factor, we're just going to keep getting first downs that way. So that's a big one, but it's, you know, we run, again, I don't think there's any, and it's a credit to, you know, what the Chiefs did. And again, what, what the Eagles did, you know, I think, if you're a good football coach, you're going to continually watch football and watch other offenses, and you're going to adapt. Like, you know, if you're going to be a dinosaur and say, we're just going to run, you know, the same play Bill Walsh ran, you know, run Red Right 88, or we're going to run, you know, Stat 22 Texas, or all those 35 were called, eventually, you're, you know, you're going to be a dinosaur, you're going to be extinct. You know, and again, I think there's a lot of principles of those West Coast offenses that they still use, but you, you got to do it in different ways. I mean, it's, it's, that, that's part of being a coach. Is, is adapting and, and picking up new things. 
Well, Brian, last question. And I think that there's a lot of similarities with what you guys are doing there in Villanova and what I think Doug Peterson and the offensive coaching staff is going to bring here to Philadelphia. For fans now that are this will be their first exposure to the offense, what's the, what's the mission statement? What, what can they expect this fall? I mean, I don't think it's – and I'm not super familiar with what Doug is doing, but, I, you know, I think if you watch what the, what the best teams at our level or the best teams at the FBS level – you know, you're, the whole premise of what we're doing is, is we're trying to run the ball. You know, even with Chip, I mean, they, you know, they, the first year led the league in rushing. You know, I mean, I, I think you're going to see some things um, that you're going to think are play-action passes that are shot plays that are actually, you know, that was a running play for everybody but the receiver. And I think that that's a, it, it's really going to help generate some big plays. Again, if you watch when the Eagles had all their guys, you know, in Chip's first couple of years there, I mean, it was going. The ball was going to the tight end. The ball was going to the X. The tailback was running for a lot of yards. Uh, you know, when you don't have your guys or you're injured or your offensive line is hurt, you know, nothing works. You know, so I think, I think that the biggest thing is that your scheme gives you a slight advantage if you execute it. You know, there's times as a coach we say, man, we got this great play schemed up, but if the five guys up front are blocking, a lot of the plays are good. You know, if the quarterback's getting the ball out on time, a lot of the plays are good. But the, it's, I mean, I think the reason that the fans around here, my wife's one of them, you know, my wife grew up around here, is a Villanova football. If she had to pick a Villanova or the Eagles one, she would pick Villanova, but she would, like, ask if the Eagles are playing the Cowboys or, you know, the, the division <laughs> game, stuff like that. Um, but it's, you know, the reason that teams I, I, and the fans around here identify with, you know, they identify with physical football. You know, they identify with the great defenses that the Eagles had. And that's, I mean, despite the fact that it's no huddle on its spread, I mean, it's physical as it gets. You know, and you're going to run the ball, and it's, you're going to find ways to do it. Again, you're trying as much as you can to dictate to the defense that you're going to do into the looks you want to do it. And when you don't get those looks, you're going to put the ball on the perimeter and let those guys make some plays in some space. Well, Brian, really outstanding stuff. Thanks again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you again very soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Great stuff from Brian. Again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Coach underscore Flynn. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. And the other way is to go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, give us a rating, and leave us a comment. And shout-out to Keith Lewis, who went on and left a comment this week saying he has never missed an episode. Thanks so much to Keith and all of you out there for your continued support of this podcast and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. But let's keep this show going. I told you earlier that we'd jump into the locker room to meet Jordan Matthews. Let's talk to Jordan about the drive route and what goes into running that route successfully. Let's get to that conversation now in Two Technique time to get inside the mind of a player it's time for two technique you're now with the eagles wide receiver jordan matthews and jordan uh, a lot of your production in the past couple of years and a lot of your biggest plays have come on some of those shallow crossing routes so i figured I'd, I'd ask you to take us through take us through a, a player's perspective on running a shallow cross what are some of the things that are going through your mind pre-snap when you know you're going to run that route uh, pre-snap, you know, you're always looking at coverage. I think the biggest thing is once you realize that you have man coverage, that's always a huge indicator, okay, this is my chance to go out there and make a play. You don't want to rush it. You don't want to roll into it and let a guy cover you. 
you want to give him something at the beginning, get going, and then kind of like stair step somewhere in there to make him think you might push vertical and then come across flat. It always helps. As far as zone, you just got to feel it. You want to still get across fast, but you want to make sure some of the clutter gets out the way so then you can break free. And, um, you know, I feel like sometimes it's really just a feel route, but the biggest thing about it is get going fast. Don't take all your time at the line, and then when the quarterback's ready for you, you're not in his vision. So it's really about getting going, getting going quick. I talked with Eric Rowe about it a few weeks ago about uh, defending that kind of route. He said he always went, if he's got a, a high safety, he knows he's going to try and undercut it. How hard is that as a receiver to try and keep that defender from undercutting that route and trying to keep him on your backside? You know, like I said, it's, it's always hard when the DB, like, knows what he's talking about. But at the same time, it's totally different when we're in the game, man. When I'm in a split to run a drive, he doesn't know if I'm tight because I'm about to go run a corner so I can get an outside release, if I'm about to just give him a wide split and run a basic. So that's a bunch of talk. At the same time, he don't know what I'm doing. So the second I break in, if, as long as I have a step on him, he's in trail position, there is no undercut. Now he's just trying to get back into play. That's why I actually brought up that play, your, your game-winning touchdown against Dallas. It wasn't a drive route. It was a crossing route where you stuck your foot in the ground. And yeah. broke opposite. I mean, if yeah. you know you've got that in your pocket, you, you've got the defender where you want them. Exactly. Yeah. When, when defenders talk about plays, it's funny. Cause it's, it's like, okay, it sounds good, you know, but at the same time, you know, you still got to react. And so, since we know where we're going, as long as we play it right and get going, I mean, it's hard for the cover. That was some outstanding stuff there from Jordan. I love the fact that he's always competing. We had Patrick Wu on a couple weeks ago, and he told a great story about Jordan down at the Senior Bowl a few years back. And you guys just heard his voice when I brought up Eric Rowe defending the crossing route. He was offended. You know, I, I just I love the way that he approaches the game. His competitive nature uh, really came through in that quick two-minute discussion there with Jordan about the drive route. And he did such a great job breaking down the shallow cross. So I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast, and it's really easy. If you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and you like what you hear, all you have to go is go to your phone, go to your local podcast app, and search Eagle Eye in the Sky. You hit subscribe, and the show downloads to your phone each and every week. You can do that with Eagle Eye in the Sky. You can do that with Eagles Live with Dave Spadaro. The Journey to the Draft podcast and the Eagles Insider podcast will both return at the start of the season. So please give us, a, give us some love there uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher. And again, just leave us a quick comment and a quick ranking, and that's the best way to support the show. But let's wrap this podcast up like we do each and every week. Let's jump into Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, so one of the players that has gotten a lot of buzz in the media over the last couple weeks since the uh, draft has ended has been undrafted free agent Caleb Jones from Arizona. He's a big kid, 6'2", 209 pounds, and he was productive. He was an underclassman that declared for the draft. A lot of people were wondering, all right, well, who's this guy? What is he about? Well, he was a big-time recruit. He ended up staying at Tech at the University of Texas his first couple of years. There was a little bit of an off-field concern, transferred out to Arizona, and then he lined up at both outside receiver positions in head coach Rich Rodriguez's shotgun spread offense this past year. Uh, he's got a couple moves to get off the line of scrimmage to evade press, relies more on his technique to win early in the down. He's really proficient with his hands at getting off press coverage, really physical route runner. He's a really big, physical, competitive kid, uh, positions his body well at the catch point, really good contested catch guy down in the red zone. Even though he's only 6'2", he's got really long arms, and he's got the ability to win in those contested situations. 
Now, the big thing with him, and this is probably the reason why he went undrafted, was he's not a truly explosive athlete. He doesn't have that foot quickness that you might look, see from uh, one of his teammates. Now, Hunter Sharp, who was an undrafted free agent from Utah State, uh, that's not his forte. His forte is not his speed, his quickness, his ability to win uh, in the small game. He is all about winning in the big game. And really, uh, even though he's only 6'2", he's got that size, that strength, that ability to win physically. He's a big physical kid. He's got all the traits of a solid possession receiver in the NFL. I'll be very, very intrigued to see how he looks once camp opens uh, at the end of July. So uh, once again, thank you to Brian Flynn, to Jordan Matthews, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time, again, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and shoot us a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and make all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go on, shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show here in the books on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for my producer, BT. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.